Welcome everybody. Thank you for coming out on apparently a very poor evening or late afternoon. My name's Brian Jones. I work in the Faculty of Agriculture and Environment here at the University and I'm a member of the Food and Nutrition Security Group that's working with the CPC and the Sydney Environment Institute to put on this seminar series. I'd like to welcome you all here and to begin by acknowledging and paying respect to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting here tonight. The university is built upon the ancient ancestral lands of the Gadigal people. As we share knowledge within the university, we acknowledge and pay respect to the deep and enduring knowledge that's embedded within the Aboriginal custodianship of country. So tonight's topic, Australians are eating too few fruit and vegetables and what can be done about this is an important one that can be seen as emblematic of many of our modern issues. Although the society we've constructed is undoubtedly a great achievement, several issues like this one, our food choices, that might seem at first like lagging inconsistencies might instead be growing byproducts of our success. I ask myself from time to time, why don't I eat enough fruit and vegetables? I know why I didn't eat them as a child. I hated my mother's Irish heritage-inspired boiled cabbage and Brussels sprouts. <laughs> my mother couldn't do veggies, but she got up early to make our Vegemite on toast and stayed up late at night making lamingtons and cooking sponges. Fruit and veg paled in comparison. So I'm fairly sure of why I didn't eat them as a child, straightforward I think, but as our palate changes, you'll hear tonight that many of us hold on to or develop eating habits coming out of childhood that are just simply not in our best interests. Whether it's nature or nurture or the ruthless exploitation of these forces by food companies, the facts are clear, few of us eat enough fruit and veggies despite the recognised benefits. Someone told me in the US a year or so ago that the Eat More Fruit and Veggie NGO that she worked for was giving up on adults completely. They've decided to save the children if they can. There's no hope for the adults, they think. Their aim is to stop what they see as an intergenerational cycle of dietary madness. Many of us here tonight have thought, am I eating enough fruit and veggies? But if we do, it's usually in a desultory way. Fortunately for us here tonight, we have two fabulous speakers that have thought about and worked on the issues in a structured way. Professors Orman Farinelli and McConkie have used their expertise to try to figure out for us what it is about our society, our culture and ourselves that makes something so clearly sensible, so commonly problematic. So our first speaker is Robin McConkie. Robin is a post-harvest physiologist interested in the quality of fresh foods. Her current interests centre on fresh produce safety and she played a key role in setting up an industry-funded research centre hosted by the University of Sydney on fresh produce safety. In 2014, Robin was also instrumental in introducing a new undergraduate degree to the Faculty of Agriculture and Environment with a double major in food and agribusiness. 
Currently, Robin and her PhD student, Ratika Reki, have been investigating how to motivate the consumer to eat more fruit and vegetables. They conducted a review of promotional and policy interventions designed to raise daily consumption levels around the globe. The success of these initiatives has been modest in terms of meeting World Health Organisation consumption targets, although most have been able to increase knowledge and awareness of the issues. The Australian vegetable industry is using novel approaches to engage consumers by launching an interactive website and other initiatives. I'd like to welcome Robin to the stage. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Brian, and hello to everybody. Um, I'm, Margaret and I come from completely different backgrounds. I work with the horticulture industry and the fruit and vegetable industry, and Margaret, of course, is uh, concerned with uh, diet, dietetics and, and is a dietitian. So we're coming at uh, promotion and consumption of fruit and vegetables from two completely separate um, uh, areas. I guess my interest is that I think the fruit and vegetable industry is a great industry. It's got a wonderful product and I think they should do more to try and promote consumption of fruit and vegetables. At the moment they tend not to do very much and I think there's a huge opportunity for them to do a lot more and I'll talk a little bit about that um, in my talk. Okay, um, so as Brian mentioned, Ratika and I have been looking at um, the global campaigns around the world um, that have been used to promote uh, fruit and vegetable consumption. There's been an awful lot of money spent on these programs, but whether they've been effective in increasing consumption uh, is another matter, and we wanted to look at that as a baseline to see what we could do to, in our further research to, uh, to improve consumption. Um, we've, so we did a review, and we've also just been recently looking at um, using health benefit labels to try and uh, increase consumption and see whether they would be effective or not. So I'll just talk about, a little bit about those two research projects. By way of background, um, it's been well established that um, fruit and vegetables do reduce risk of chronic heart disease plus a whole range of other um, conditions, uh, non-communicable conditions. And in fact, it's been so well established that the WHO actually recommends 400 grams of fresh, fresh fruit and vegetables every day. In other words, that's what we've got to consume. It's not aspirational, it's what you should be consuming every day. Most of us don't do that, unfortunately. If you look at the consumption levels in Europe, there's only uh, 220 grams per day, which is about half of the, uh, the required consumption levels. If you look at the US, again, it's only 6 to 8% of individuals actually achieve the daily target. In Australia, we're no better. We do achieve our two pieces of fruit a day, most of us, but hardly any of us um, eat the required intake for vegetables, only um, 6 to 8%. Um, if we did eat more fruit and vegetables, there's a possibility that about 2.8% of deaths per annum would be um, reduced because of eating greater amounts of fruits and vegetables. So, you know, the health benefits are significant. This is death, but what about disease? If we ate more fruits and vegetables, we probably would um, prevent a lot of the diseases as well. So, what is it about fruits and vegetables? When people realise that things like vitamin C and vitamin A and vitamin E were all good for you, they used to take it in a pill to try and increase their, their levels. But the health benefits associated with taking those as individual pills are nowhere near as good as eating it combined within a fruit and vegetable. 
There's something, and we don't know what it is, but there's something about the matrix of the food, the fruit and vegetable, combined with the interaction of some of those um, bioactives that gives us an added health benefit. It's like the sum of the parts is greater than, sorry, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So what is it in fruits and vegetables? Well, there are micronutrients, things like magnesium, iron, folic acid, etc., which are all, as you know, very um, important. Fibre is a huge um, part of fruits and vegetables. The pectins that are in the cell walls, the cellulose that are in the cell walls, all incredibly important for our um, gut health. And then there's a whole range of bioactive molecules, um, often called antioxidants or polyphenols. Vitamin E and vitamin C are also classified as antioxidants as well. And there's significant epidemiological evidence that associates a high dietary intake of those compounds with reduced risk of cardiovascular disease and they say that uh, it provides a protective role, lowering the risk between 20 and 40%. Um, it protects from some cancers. Cancers are very difficult to measure because um, obviously you can't do a controlled experiment um, but there is a lot of epidemiological evidence to say that some cancers um, uh, fruit and vegetables do protect us against some cancers. Uh, there's been uh, measured lower asthma incidence, lower risk of Alzheimer's disease and also other neurodegenerative diseases. So, you know, the evidence is starting to stack up that fruits and vegetables are definitely good for us. One of the interesting things I found in the literature was this um, timeline or um, chronology of... Um, uh, why polyphenol, or the research that's gone to, um, with, the po with the polyphenols that uh, are supposed to be so good for us. It was back in the 1930s where um, polyphenols, or flavonoids as they're often called, were first discovered and it was about the same time that vitamins were discovered and they called it vitamin P because they didn't know um, really what it was. But it wasn't until about the 1980s that they really discovered that it had some sort of antioxidant effect. And many of you will know that you've probably all heard of free radicals. You know, they're the things that zip round your cells and cause damage to membranes, molecules, all those sorts of things. And these antioxidants have the ability to mop up or neutralise these free radicals and stop the damage going on. And that seemed quite feasible because when you look at antioxidants or polyphenols or flavonoids in plants, that's exactly what they do in plants. Uh, the sunlight comes in, the UV is too strong for the plants often and so they create these free radicals which need to be mopped up. And so in, it happens in plants, so one would think that it would happen within um, uh, animals as well. So antioxidants became quite a popular theory as to why they were effective. And then further down the track we started to get some evidence that said that the, um, perhaps antioxidants um, have some anti-inflammatory um, effect. And that's because antioxidants probably couldn't explain all of the effects that we were starting to see. If you think about it, um, a, lot of the, a lot of these antioxidants are actually insoluble and don't pass into the gut. So only about 5% can actually get into the bloodstream and about 95% pass through. So if that's the case, what, they must have some other effect. So it's not, as, it's not a cause and effect, it's not a straight line effect. So they started looking at anti-inflammatory effects and sure enough, it did have an anti-inflammatory um, effect as uh, it show, this research here shows. Um, they also saw that um, the research showed that uh, there was reduced risk of coronary heart disease and also stroke and, uh, and that there were lower plasma lipids in the, in the bloodstream as well for those people who ate large amounts of uh, fruits and vegetables. 
And finally, I was at a conference last week where they were talking about cranberry juice, which has the capacity to mostly move through the gut to the, to the bowel, where uh, it encourages a, a set of microbes or bio, gut biome, um, which actually prevents leakiness um, into, the, into the bloodstream in the gut. And of course, um, it's well known that things like um, uh, resistant starch also influence the, influences the gut biome, which also improves um, um, or reduces um, uh, inflammatory responses in the, in the body as well. So now we're saying that um, polyphenols can also influence the gut biome. So it's not a simple um, effect. It's really a pleiotropic effect, a many-faceted effect. And so, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting watching the research over the next 10 years. I think it's going to be really exciting. And don't stop eating your fruits and vegetables because there's lots of evidence to say that they are good for you. <coughs> Okay, so um, the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating recommends two to eight serves of vegetables and legumes and one to five serves of fruit daily. And this is really interpreted, interpreted as two serves of fruit and five serves of vegetables. Really hard to do because when you look at the actual serve size, it's about a cup of chopped or canned fruit, so two of those every day. I think most of us do it because if you pull an apple off the shelf, that's what you'll get or an orange or whatever. But when you look at vegetables... It's uh, one cup of salad vegetables um, or half a cup of cooked vegetables. So that's sort of two and a half cups of cooked vegetables or you know, five cups of salad vegetables. Pretty hard to eat every day, but uh, that's what is recommended. So now we get on to the campaigns. There have been a number around the world. Some of them have been more successful than others. So if you look at, um, in Australia, there was a program called Go For Two and Five, which began in Western Australia. Um, and it's tried to increase the number of serves eaten per, eaten per day and, of course, the result was that it only got up 0.8 serves per day. But it then went national and the only result that we can find from that one is that it actually generated increased awareness of eating fruits and vegetables, which is half the battle one, um, and increased knowledge, but it didn't result in eating um, the requisite number of fruits and vegetables. In the US, they've had a lot of programs. One is uh, Five a Day for Better Health, which was run till 2006, and now they've got Fruit and Veggies More Matters, and they've also got a picture of, half a, of a plate with half of it devoted to fruits and vegetables, and that seems to be working quite well. Um, so they had increased interest in, uh, in the target audience, but again, it's interest, not necessarily consumption. I mean, it's a really hard thing to do to get people to change their habits. Now, in Denmark, they had a program called Six Omdagen, and this is the um, logo, and I've chopped off the bottom here because it gets a bit naughty down below. But, <laughs> but um, basically, um, they did have um, increased fruit and vegetable consumption by 41 and 75% um, within this time period. So it does work, and I think um, uh, six sort of means sex or similar to sex and so they sort of relate it and, so, and with this symbol they relate the two and so they think if you eat fruits and vegetables you might have a better sex life or something <laughs> along those lines, I'm not sure. But some people found that attractive and ate more fruits and vegetables. Um, the Food Dudes was also um, one of the success um, stories. It was a program aimed at children in the UK 
and there were there were all sorts of rewards for kids. You know, Captain. You know, I forget what they called, but you know, they were, the people who ate fruits and vegetables had bigger muscles, and they won their battles. And there were gimmicks and giveaways like McDonald's type stuff um, related to this program, which kids were um, related to and were able to. Um, uh, increase their fruit and vegetable consumption. So Food Dudes was um, a success and is still running. In New Zealand they had five plus a day and that is still running and there is some increase in consumption there. One of the ones that we didn't look at um, was Stephanie Alexander's Kitchen Garden National Program and just last year there was a report that came out of uh, Wollongong which said that there was strong evidence for significant improvements in students' food choices so they now know about fruits and vegetables and where they come from. But importantly, they also had better lifestyle behaviours. Apparently the behaviour in the classroom is much better, attendance is much better, all sorts of other added benefits from Stephanie's kitchen garden program. Um, I think kids really enjoyed going out to the garden, growing their fruits and vegetables and coming in and cooking them and using them and learning how to use them. So that one is working, but that is targeted directly at children. Okay, so what are the promoters and barriers to fruit and vegetable consumption? Well, you know, just look at, there are many categories, but just looking at produce related versus consumer related, one of the things that does influence whether we choose to eat or purchase fruits and vegetables is price. And these blueberries are just delicious, but you know, they change in price right throughout the year. The cheapest I ever see them is $2.99. If anyone sees them cheaper, let me know. But, you know, they go up to $10 and it's really a barrier to purchasing. And everybody knows that blueberries are good for you, but price is a huge barrier to us purchasing them. Um, there are other things like seasonality. You just get used to something and you want to cook with something and it might not be available. So that's, that's an issue as well. Perishability is an issue. Avocados, the avocado industry has been very innovative over the past 10 years. People used to buy avocados rock hard and they'd put them on their kitchen windowsill and they'd wait for two weeks for them to ripen and then by the third week they'd forgotten about it and then it would rot and they, you know, they didn't buy another avocado again because they felt that you know, they were wasting um, their money and their product. The avocado industry now actually pre-ripens avocados, gives them a burst of a, a natural gas which brings them just before ripening so that when you take it home it's going to be ripe within two or three days and that's increased the consumption of uh, avocados hugely and now it's a really popular and they can't really keep up with demand. So perishability is a problem um, and sort of getting product to the shelf uh, at the right stage is also an issue. Um, nutritional content, well some people look at that but uh, in general not so much. There was a publication recently that called it the, the top 10 vegetables and kale and um, all the brassica vegetables were in there and also watercress um, and they looked at people uh, who um, purchased nutrient dense um, fruit and vegetables and people did actually choose their product based on that. Some of the other areas down here, consumer related, um, things like income, education, gender, age, they all, and I'll talk about that in a little minute, um, they all have an influence on how much fruit and vegetable and you, they purchase and whether or not they consider it to be important in the diet. Um, cooking skills and convenience, this is really important. I mean, this uh, little cartoon um, tickled me because, um, can you read it? You can read it, good. Um, because people want convenience. We've got busy lives. You come home at six o'clock and you've got to turn around and start cooking. 
and some people just don't, either don't have the interest or they don't have the skills to actually do it. So you've got to peel your carrots, you've got to do this and uh, chop that, etc. Five minutes. Okay, I've got to keep going. Um, yeah, so cooking uh, skills and convenience is a huge barrier. Okay, I might just skip that. Um, what I want to talk about now is um, consumer, the consumer study. If you think about other food products in grocery stores, they all um, label their products with things like um, antioxidants and nutrients and this pro packet probably, which is probably cornflakes or something, has probably only got one blueberry in it or one cranberry or something, hardly anything. Compared to a, you know, a, a punnet of strawberries or a punnet of uh, raspberries, it doesn't really compare in terms of uh, the amount of antioxidants and nutrients. But these guys have managed to advertise like mad and, and get people to buy their product. So, Hal um, commissioned a project with Hazel McTavish-West and Jocelyn Eason and also Ratika and I to actually look at um, nutrient labelling um, or health labelling on uh, fruits and vegetables <clears throat> and whether or not that would be successful. So, we undertook a, um, a consumer study um, it was 1,000 respondents, they were all over 18, it was Australia-wide. We actually included English and non-English speaking backgrounds um, and it was an online survey. And the first question we asked them what, what, how important vegetables were in their daily diet and how much they actually ate. And sure enough, they didn't eat enough, so, um, but I, they won't repeat that data. But English speaking um, considered it to be more important um, than non-English speaking and actually consumed more. Females ate more and considered that uh, fruits and vegetables were more important. Older people, and this gets down to uh, the topic that Margaret's going to talk about, older people rated vegetables more important and in fact ate more. Um, and non-metro regions um, rated them more important and consumed more vegetables as well. That might be because it's a bit further to go down the road to actually pick up a you know, punnet of strawberries or whatever. Um, so they actually grew it themselves and... Uh, and, um, or sorry, down the road to pick up a hamburger or whatever. The second thing that we looked at was a free elicitation. We looked at if, if you put, well, had a cosletus put in front of you, what health-related attributes would you associate with that particular vegetable? How much do people know about how, they, how good they are for you? Most people don't know. They haven't got a clue. Instead of listing a health benefit, they actually listed nutrients. And we, we asked them not to list nutrients, but they insisted on doing it anyway in the space where they um, pro were provided for comments. So they listed nutrients far more than they did with health benefits. And most of them, for the ones below here, put down not sure or don't know. So, you know, the vegetable health benefit literacy is really very low and the literature does support that as well. We then looked at trying to link all these um, uh, Fazant's approved health claims uh, with particular vegetables to see which ones would um, resonate or um, which ones consumers could uh, identify with. And these are health benefits that have just come out in the last year or so and uh, are now approved for use on um, fruits and vegetables. So healthy vision, bones and joints, etc., digestion, hydration, immune system, etc., and we asked them to try and rank the top three with each of the vegetables. No surprises. Carrots, um, obviously healthy vision. Um, and there were only uh, uh, sweet corn got healthy heart and circulation. 
and beans uh, with healthy digestion. But in general, again, the literacy was pretty low and it's probably a lot of stabbing in the dark uh, to try and just say, well, that one looks like it might be appropriate. Um, so I'm not sure that that was particularly helpful and I think we'll probably just stick with um, ones that, you know, probably with an education campaign that will actually let people know that uh, beans might, have, might be good for healthy digestion, etc. So the recommendations that came out of our study were that um, labelling probably has a huge opportunity to inform the public. Um, they don't know very much about it, about why fruits and vegetables are good for you. And looking back at that chronology of you know, the research that's gone on for antioxidants, it's very clear, it's a very um, complicated um, uh, um, field and I don't know that it's, it's, it's clear cut. So trying to explain it to the consumer is, is also very difficult. And I think for years we were telling them that antioxidants were great for, for your, you know, mopping up free radicals and now we have to turn around and say, well, that's not the, all, the total answer. So the stories have changed and it's difficult to get that through to the consumer. So I think labelling um, and, uh, does have a, a, a big opportunity to inform vegetable uh, consumers. I think the other thing that's come out of our study is that it's important to tailor programs. It's not much use doing a mass campaign unless you're targeting particular groups and then you can make the message more relevant and more targeted towards them. Um, for example, <coughs> non-English speaking backgrounds, teenagers or males or whatever, the, the, the groupings that really need to lift their game. Um, it's good to support it with other integrated initiatives such as things like phonaps, which Margaret's going to talk about now. Um, and the overall health ranking benefits did assist in, a, in the decision making regarding the choice but I think it needs to be um, a little bit more explicit and uh, we need to have the, well there will be the, the nutritional um, table on the back as you have with all other packages as well. Um, one other thing is that uh, this website, Vegucation, you might like to go and have a look. It's got lists of all the nutrients that are in various vegetables and in what quantities, etc., and why they're good for you. Um, and it's quite a good website. It's been uh, promoted by Hal. And lastly, I don't know if you listened to the science program this morning, but you probably you heard my favourite, one of my favourite people, Susan, Suzanne Corey, um, and she. Uh, quoted Mary Lasker, who was a philanthropist in the United States, and she said, if you think research is expensive, try disease, which I think is really important. We need to keep the research going to try and find out why fruits and vegetables are good for us. So, eat a rainbow a day and uh, watch this space. Thank you. Thank you very much, Robin. Okay, so our next speaker is Professor Oman Farinelli. Um, Margaret is a dietitian nutritionist with additional training in public health. Her current research interests centre on improving diet quality of young adults using electronic and mobile media for health promotion. It was from her epidemiological work that she observed that the more recent generations, generations X and Y, were becoming overweight adults more quickly than their parents had. This led her to study their food consumption patterns. Margaret has found that while almost all adults were failing to meet the guidelines for vegetable consumption, the youngest were the poorest consumers. Her research group is currently completing a text messaging trial that includes a component on increasing fruit and vegetable intake. Other research by her PhD student, Cathy Chapman, 
has examined the cost and accessibility of fruit and vegetables in supermarkets across New South Wales and the barriers and enablers to fruit and vegetable consumption in a sample of 3,000 adults. Margaret's systematic reviews of the literature for the NH and MRC dietary guidelines have revealed that much is to be gained personally and nationally if we can improve fruit and vegetable in intake. Thanks. Thank you. I'm going to be coming from a different perspective to Robin, mostly from a public health type perspective. So I think that um, our two sets of information tell the same story, but we arrive at the same endpoint using data in a different way. So just to begin with, this is the Charles Perkins Centre and we do have rather an emphasis on uh, preventing obesity but I always try to say that diet is about much more than calorie counting and there has been some preoccupation perhaps only with the energy content of your diet. So the things that I'm going to be looking at today is how much fruit and vegetables are Australians eating We've just got some new evidence that's come out in May. How do you know that fruit and vegetables are good for you? What are the barriers to consumption? And what might be some smart solutions? So um, the NH, uh, the Australian Bureau of Statistics has just released our first measure of dietary intake in Australia since 1995. So rather than asking a question, how much fruit and veg do you have? These are the actual figures from the 12,000 children and adults who were surveyed to find out what they ate. So what you can see from this is the target um, is up there at 375 grams, which is the five thirds. Uh, I've got the line at three thirds, so that you can see that rather than 225 grams, we're looking at um, about 119, 160 in the youngest groups. And so they're having half or less than half of the recommended amount of um, vegetables. And for fruit, fruit is a little better, but the two thirds is up there at 300. And you can see that on the whole, the mean intake is only just above the one third of fruit. As you see, the older we get, the better we get at eating the correct amount of fruit. So this is another way, just the number of thirds by self-report. The target at two, you can see that fruit's not doing too badly, but this is what vegetables looks like in terms of going from not eating vegetables less than a third, one, two, three, four, five. So this is from the Bureau of Statistics. You can see we're still in the state with respect to vegetable consumption. One of the things to keep in mind though is how much um, can depend on the tool that we use for reporting. And this was just a comparison in a group of about 100 young adults, one of my PhD students put together, where we saw when we got them to record their food intake for five days to actually weigh it all and record it, and then we gave them a frequency questionnaire the 
complete record gave us higher um, vegetable serves than just asking them to record how much vegetable they had. So as Robin has said, fruit consumption inadequacy is the fourth leading cause of disease burden in the world and vegetables the seventh So I might just quickly run you through the evidence base about food disease relationships. And in doing that, I just want to explain to you that fruit and vegetables, we're looking to see if it protects against certain diseases. There are other foods that might promote disease. And when we look at evidence, we have three levels listed today. Convincing evidence. The National Health and Medical Research Council accepts that it is beyond a shadow of a doubt that this relationship between the food and disease is real and so it can be used unreservedly to inform practice. And the World Cancer Research Fund has a similar sort of rating. The next level is probable. That means that we have a good body of evidence to make the recommendation and that we can trust it to guide practice in most situations, but there's still just a little shadow of a doubt from the literature. And the last one, limited subjective, means that there is extra research that needs to be done before we unreservedly go about saying this is fact and should um, be taken in your practice. We really have to have care if the evidence is limited subjective. So I want you to show you this is the systematic review for the dietary guidelines. And the best level of evidence we could come up with was what we call probable evidence. So it can be guided in both situations. And it shows very much, looking at the literature, that for each additional serve of vegetables, you will protect heart disease and that vegetables protected you against risk of stroke. There's suggestive evidence that consumption of vegetables protects against weight gain, but there's considerable need for more research in that. The World Cancer Research Fund tells us that consumption of non-starchy vegetables protects against esophageal cancer, stomach cancer, um, non-starchy um, Vegetables also protect against mouth, larynx and pharynx cancer. The allium vegetables, which are your leek, your onion, garlic, protect against cancer of the stomach. And lycopene-rich foods protect against prostate cancer. Many years ago there was a headline, pizza prevents prostate cancer, and the active ingredient was the tomato paste. Also there is probable evidence that garlic protects against bowel cancer. So, we don't just pull these out of thin air. Um, as epidemiologists, we put all this evidence together. So we go and search the World Cancer Research Fund for all the evidence. And what you can actually see here is look at this little diamond where they combine all the studies together. This is what we call a relative risk. And it tells us that you're 41% less likely to get stomach cancer if you're having the allium vegetables. So we look at this line of one, and anything on this side means it protects, and anything on this side means it's not protecting. So that's an example 
This is another example with the non-starchy vegetables. You can see it's gone down from 1 to 0.7 is the risk. Uh, here's another one where you can see this is white and pale vegetables, particularly coming out of Japan, where they have a real problem with stomach cancer, showing a protective effect. What's the evidence for fruit? Well, fruit also protects against coronary heart disease. And if you have at least one and a half serves, and preferably two and a half, it will reduce your risk of stroke. It probably protects against lung cancer, cancer of the mouth, lungs, and pharynx and against cancer of the esophagus. There's suggestive evidence that it protects against obesity, and Albert's just preparing a systematic literature review on all the studies and obesity. We haven't submitted it for population yet. Um, so this is an example of lung cancer. See, it's on the right side of one. Uh, this is cancer of mouth, pharynx, and larynx. Now, you've just seen how it protects against our two major killers coronary heart disease and cancer. Okay, why don't we eat two serves of fruit? Well, my colleague Kathy Chapman, who's with the New South Wales Cancer Council, sought to answer this. So they did an online survey. They had about 4,000 people invited and about 2,500 of those were able to fill in the questionnaires sufficiently. The most interesting thing is if you have the biggest reason was how that 40% don't eat enough fruit because it's their habit. 35% preferred other foods and it was 32% were worried about the perishability. You'll notice the cough, which I thought might be a major factor, was a lesser factor. It was more about liking something else and their so this is about the vegetables, and here it was different. The main reason was they said they already eat enough. So they thought they were eating enough. Then they preferred other foods, and it was their habit. And if you look, you can see that the cost was only 14%, so less, less worried than they had about the cost of fruit. So if this is so, if you think you're already eating enough, then how might we get you to eat more? So obviously, there might be some need for education around what the serving size actually is. Maybe we can sell the health and other benefits of vegetables, and maybe they need help to monitor just how much it is. They think they're eating enough, but they're not. So maybe we've got to help them jog their mind to see how much they're actually eating. And the second part of it is habit. So if we need to change the habit, then we need to introduce behaviour change techniques. We've been working with young adults trying to improve their intake, quality of their diet, including a number of factors, but one of them is fruit and vegetables. And you can see that when questioned, 87% had an adequate vegetable intake, but 57% wanted to improve. So they do actually want to improve their fruit and vegetables. You might see sugar and drinks there. They weren't all that interested in improving their sugar and drinks in the way they were fruit and vegetables. So maybe we're on a winner. So what we decided to do was to go to smart solutions. Um, we knew that a smartphone app could provide nutritional information and guide choice. 
that they would be able to log what they were doing and to assess their progress over time. If we want to, we can share the outcomes with the healthcare team and also what we are able to do is to set goals and to allow people to talk to monitor their own behaviour so they can change their habits. So it's a very simple app that we made just with 48 fruits and 61 vegetables. Um, there's an explanation of what serving sizes in the target and we include tips on how to improve their intake for example, we provide recipes of how they can include um, vegetables at breakfast and lunch. So Lana has been the PhD student who did most of the work on this. Um, you can see there we've got the targets and then we've got the screen you can go into to monitor your fruit and vegetables. And hopefully you manage to fill up all your um, fruits and vegetables during the day. Um, for example, if you're not having any at lunch, you might be prompted to go and take a look at the recipes for lunch. So that if you have a Mediterranean wrap and you follow a recipe, you actually serve the vegetables. And you get the recipe and tell you how to manage to do that. It's quite easy with the scroll function for fruit and vegetables. You can view and edit your settings and then you have your so we did a pilot study with the app in just 21 overweight young adults um, were allowed to use the app. Interestingly, only 10 of them used it. So about 50% were interested in the app, the others weren't. Um, and we think one of the negative things was it was a web app and it was slower than a native. Um, we've now included it in a weight management intervention for 18 to 35 year olds and it's an entire program that we're running a randomised controlled trial but they have both access to the app, coaching calls and there have been text messages about motivation to try and change their habit and improve their fruit and vegetable intake. So we, we monitor them over 12 weeks. And I've got some um, really preliminary results from the first 100, but we've now got over 200. And I'll be presenting those results on the 29th. If you want to come to the symposium, the CPC called Wireless Wellbeing, that's on our CPC website. Um, so at the um, baseline, only 3.4% had five or more serves of vegetables in both the intervention and the control group. But as you can see, again, they were ready to change. They wanted to change, most of them. These are odds ratios um, telling us that, first of all, they were 2.5 times more likely to eat more fruit at the end of 12 weeks and twice as likely, 1.9, to eat more vegetables. However, this is preliminary. There's very wide confidence intervals and the results will change when we have the full sample. But it was at least encouraging direction. So what about engagement with the app? Um, what we found once again was about half of them decided to use the app even though maybe for vegetables three quarters were wanting to change and most of them were having other targets. Some of them appeared to use the app once but others went up to 39 times so were obviously using the app to talk to monitor. 